Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Hello, and welcome to the Job Hunting Podcast. A warning that this episode is not for little ears. So if you have little ones around you, you may want to pop your earphones or listen later. And we will be discussing issues such as sexual harassment and sexual assault. If this is a trigger for you, consider skipping this episode. And if you need help, reach out to a reputable service provider near you. In Australia, you can call 1-800-RESPECT or Lifeline on 13-3114. My friend Hannah Bitterman spends her time between Melbourne and Port Ferry, and this is the only reason why I have kept her away from meeting you here on the Job Hunting Podcast. I've wanted to have Hannah as a guest for a long time. When in Melbourne, Hannah catches up with friends, colleagues and clients. But when in Port Ferry, a gorgeous little seaside town about three hours away from here, Hannah writes... And during this COVID pandemic, she has spent a lot of time writing and staying down in Port Ferry. If it sounds idyllic to you, it's because it is. We warm up our conversation slowly and get to the crux of the matter in about 30-40 minutes into it. This is one of the longest podcasts that I've recorded. The issues that have been on top of our minds... They are on top of the minds of many women around Australia for the past couple of weeks. Honestly, these issues never seem to go away. They are always bubbling along and now and then they they burst and they explode causing so much damage and we believe we will learn from the experience only to find out a few weeks or months or years later that we have learned nothing it seems. That is the perception and the feelings that I'm sharing with you right now. That is what's keeping women angry and frustrated. We start our chat discussing the beginning of the COVID pandemic with a gender lens. That's Hannah's expertise. Warming up for a heated discussion about the allegations of rape and sexual misconduct permeating Australian politics at the moment. We're recording this at the beginning of March of 2021, when there are several allegations involving several different areas of parliament and cabinets and also uh, political parties, not just the Liberals, but also allegations in the Labour Party, not just federal, but also in state politics um, in South Australia. Every time you wake up in the morning, it just seems to get worse. If you are listening overseas, please persevere. You will be surprised, unpleasantly surprised, of how similar the Canberra issues are with the issues that you may be seeing closer to your home. I have learned that a range of women's problems from daily microaggressions to rape happens across country borders, class structures and age brackets. 
As this podcast will be released on Monday, it will coincide with International Women's Day. But I don't feel like celebrating. I feel exhausted, frankly. We were both, Hannah and I, a bit wary about this podcast, a bit tired, a bit angry. And honestly, this is the conversation women do not want to have anymore. No more. And year after year, here we are. It's Groundhog Day for women, it feels like. From New York to Canberra, Adelaide to Rio to Nigeria. Look at the news worldwide this week at the beginning of March. 2021. I'm so grateful to Hannah that she joined me for this chat. I remember feeling very lonely once and I hope this podcast reaches out to you and that when you listen to it you feel like you are amongst friends. Maybe you won't agree with everything we say, possibly by the time you hear things we discussed will have unfolded um, and that they may have been resolved or be more transparent than they are right now when we discuss them. Some of the context may have shifted by then. As a friend, take what we say with a grain of salt, please. If anything, it's great to see people coming together to embrace a movement towards good leadership inclusive workplaces and a workplace culture that makes everyone feel safe and able to perform at their best. Let me tell you a little bit about Hannah before we begin. She's a well-respected consultant helping leaders and organizations pivot away from deep-rooted cultural and gender biases. Hannah was instrumental in developing the Women in Leadership series of events and research reports at the Australian Think Tank and Industry Association, CEDA, or the Committee of Economic Development of Australia. That's how we first met. I worked at CEDA, and meeting Hannah was a milestone in my career. Not only we became good friends, but she has been influential in how I finally felt comfortable coming out of my shell and embracing my Latinidad, my uniqueness, and seeing those unique traits and qualities as strengths instead of weaknesses. And I love her very much for helping me do that. In my blog, I have a complete set of details about our chat Whenever you're listening, if you have access to the episode show notes, I have added links to articles and discussions about people that we have mentioned. If you want to do further research and know who these people are, if you haven't heard about them. I've also included Hannah's bio and contact details, links to her articles and the most recent book she has written, Unlocking Gender Potential, a Leader's Handbook. So those will be in episode show notes in wherever app you have found this podcast. But if you want even more detail, go to my website and check the blog for this podcast. The podcast is number 72 and my website is renatabernardi.com. I hope you enjoy our chat. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please remember to subscribe and um, click the like button um, write a review, support us in any way, shape or form. I will be very, very grateful for your support. Thanks again. Hello. Are you wearing your husband's 
glasses today. No, I'm wearing mine. I've got these are my work glasses. I just wear them at home. I've got they, other, Do I, you have the same glasses, the same frames, you and Leon? It yeah, I had like these for, I had these first. Oh, you had the first and then he got the same. And then he got the same. Well, we went to get some for him and uh-huh. uh and then uh, these were the best then. So, yeah, but I've got others since. But uh, Well, I, they are awesome. That's why well, I remember them because, because I remember seeing him with his and I thought, oh, that, that's a cool frame. I really like it. Yeah, well, I'm, I really do. They're my old ones now, but, uh, yeah, sitting, sitting here. They, so, are they your Port Fairy ones? Yeah, they're my port fairy ones. They're ones that when I'm when, when I'm just working, I I've got nice ones, but they they're more delicate. And uh, I you know I, I chuck these around, whereas the others, you know, I'm 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 more careful with them. Yeah. Uh, so do you have this um, situation where you leave things in port fairy now, and and you go backwards and forwards, or do you still bring everything back to Melbourne when uh, you tend to? tend to bring everything back to Melbourne because we rent it. Mm. So we've just got to keep it clean. And, and uh, I've, got the, there's, I've got a friend there in Port Ferry and, and she just has two of everything and she leaves everything. But, I, I, look, I can't do it. And, and uh, no, we just bring everything back and then pack again. In fact, we're going on the weekend. So we came back last night. So I'm not going to... I'm not going to unpack my suitcase and then I don't have to think. I'm going to live from that suitcase for the next few days and then pack it up and we go, yeah. Because that's my dream, you see. My dream is to be able to travel like Jackie Onassis. You know, just take a little, just a little tiny little bag with me. <laughs> yeah, and, well, that's... And that's it. And then what, wherever I go... I have a, I have a, a pad, a, I have a, yeah, a bungalow, yeah. I have something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Never going to well, happen, t- but one can no, dream. <laughs> we take too much and, uh, but still, you know, I, I like to be secure with my things. So I'm always, you know, just in case. And it's happened to me where, you know, I've just taken a tracksuit and then I thought I'll take a nice pair of jeans just in case. And it so happens that, you know, it was around Christmas. We were invited to a Christmas party, and I'm glad that I bought something that, that's sort of half decent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so nice to see you. It's been a, a long year, and I think one of the last things that I did before the um, lockdowns was to go to your place for dinner. Uh, with that's friends. right. It's a long time. It's a long time ago. But it seems it? like years ago. It was. It was probably. Um, a bit more than 12 months ago. It was at the beginning of 2019. I know this because I had just started working at Watermark. So it must have been February 2019. Oh, sorry, 2020. See, I'm going crazy, right? Because I just... so it was two years ago. There was no, no, two no. years ago. No, no. We, we, had, we had dinner at your place with Maya and Vicky in 2020. Early. That's Early. right. Early. Yeah. Early 2020, February 2020, That's right. and then the pandemic yes. hit. And, and then the pandemic hit. Yes. Yeah. I don't think we were aware of it. I don't no. think we were even uh, 
I don't. I no, don't we didn't talk it. about it. No, I don't even think we thought about it. No, we were talking about no. other things. Yeah. No, it didn't even cross our minds. I don't think we discussed it at all. We we were talking about other things. No, no. Yeah. No. You see, and then the world turned upside down. We we lost touch a bit, and you went down to Port Ferry um, to to spend most of lockdown i went i went to port ferry i i know i know exactly how it happened uh there was nothing and then there was something some sort of you know we knew it was sort of happening and i know i went you know i went to an opening a uh, a friend of mine had an art exhibition and then she had a dinner in a small room in a restaurant so there were about 18 of us in a, you know and we were sort of joking about it and but it was still a joke we didn't we didn't really register uh and then the next day I had something else another visit another afternoon and then we went to another exhibition for some reason so that was a really packed weekend and then on and I'd seen a client uh, on the Tuesday before and on the Monday she rang me and she said that she may have COVID, she travels. And I know that when I, I must have been already registering it because I remember thinking this woman travels a lot. I remember thinking when I was seeing her physically that this woman travels a lot. And it just it came through my mind and went out again. But, she, you know, she was anyway, it ended up she didn't have COVID. But I was thinking she was tested for COVID and it turned out to be influenza A. But I was thinking of all the people I had seen over the weekend, during the week, other clients, friends, going out to this exhibition, two exhibitions. And I thought, how, you know, what, what if she's got it and what if I've got it? I'm going, I sat tight. And after that, we just thought, I said, and I know somebody somebody wanted to come to me from Monash University, and um, and I said, uh, well, maybe you better drive, not going on the train. And then I said, and this was before all the Zoom. I said maybe we better just do it by phone. So this was, and then and then and then the reality started. Yes. So you know, it's sort of nothing, and then vague, and then it really hit. I think it hit me when when. Somebody I knew uh, was um, yeah was having a test. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And then- so the the funny thing uh, it's not so funny actually it's quite sad uh, about it's uh, COVID. Let's say it's interesting is that especially here in Australia, um, but mostly you see this happening at scale in the US, for example, is that COVID started out as uh, something that privileged people were were getting people that traveled that went you know to Europe and were coming back to Australia were going to the US and coming back to Australia and those were the ones that had COVID at the beginning and then now what we see is that underprivileged people are getting COVID those who have uh, the low-paying jobs essential workers um people that are working um, and can't um, and cannot work. 
especially in the US, um, you see that a country without um, a big welfare uh, system like um, Australia, a big, you know, not, not so much Australia if you think about um, some of the uh, Northern European countries, for example, that can afford to have an amazing um, system without a lot of lockdown. And those countries um, are doing quite well. We're doing quite well because we have um, a very strong lockdown culture, especially in Victoria. Um, and then you have in the U.S. almost everything going wrong because you don't have either welfare or a culture that supports uh, loss of, you know, uh, in liberty with the lockdown situation that we have here in Australia. And then you have the poor people and the underprivileged people getting um, COVID. So that's what. I, I have noticed, and I think, you know, I've read about it too, in um, the changes in COVID over 12 months. But if you go back to March, especially here in Victoria, people that were getting COVID were the Brightonites that were coming back from the Alps, <laughs> you know, yes, that... and then going to big parties and, you know, and, and, and spreading it all to their wealthy friends. And you don't mm. see that anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. Now, if anybody's getting um, COVID in Australia, it's because they're working as security guards and or hotel workers where quarantine um, people or, or where people are being quarantined when they arrive in Australia. So it's the opposite of what we mm. saw 12 months ago. Well, it's sort of brought to, to the fore uh, the gig economy, uh, people who are paid these casual rates that they have to have three jobs. <laughs> if you are a... Uh, working in aged care and going from one aged care institution to another and then maybe cleaning floors somewhere else because you are paid so lowly uh, that in order to be able to put food on the table, you actually have to have these three jobs. And this was causing infection and, and reinfection. And these people... I mean, these, these institutions were not paying, were not training people. A lot of these, well, especially in those aged care institutions, uh, they didn't even have PPE masks. It was, it, it, you know, we, we collided with, with this gig economy and we collided with um, a, a, a society that had, had, had been, had been uh, seemingly doing well uh, and everybody having a job, but, you know, what sort of job and what sort of conditions. I mean, there have been bubbles all along. I mean, income inequality has been on the increase. Health inequality is on the increase. But it was, it was ignored. It wasn't taken up. And people were sort of managing. And, uh, and this COVID uh, 
really confronted society. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting to think about uh, the past 12 months and the pandemic uh, in relation to gender and how much it has impacted women more than men. So right at the beginning, I think it was around May that the term pink recession was coined. Do you remember that? I certainly do. And and I started reading some um, articles back then, and I was adding them to my, I have a weekly newsletter to job hunters, you know, people that listen to this podcast can sign up and people that are interested in, in career issues. And the, I think the first article that I read about this was about very early on, um, a study was showing that female academics had stopped producing articles or doing any sort of work like peer review um, uh, publications or putting forward publications for peer review articles right at the beginning of COVID. Why? The assumption is these women are at home, possibly also the, the fathers are at home, but they are taking most of the um, chores of being a parent. So doing more, more of the work at home, taking care of kids and meals and, you know, grocery shopping mm. and whatever. And they felt that the female academics were underperforming compared to their male peers. So that came. And then Annabelle Crabb wrote a very interesting article right at the beginning as well, already showing that there was some discrepancy here in Australia and, and talking about pink recession. I'm going to add all those links to the show notes in the um, podcast um, show, notes, uh, show notes for those who are interested. And then it just kept on happening. You know, we, 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 we started getting the concerns about the lockdown affecting domestic violence. And uh, we, we have a common friend who works in that space here in Victoria. And we know that all of a sudden she went from having the organization she worked for almost to the point that pre-COVID uh, the state government wasn't going to fund that organization anymore to all of a sudden that organization getting a fresh um, amount of funding because of the pandemic and the need to support women um, and the, 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 uh, how, how afraid everybody became about domestic violence during the lockdown. And then um, things are now shifting towards childcare. So this week in America, there was this um, think tank that produced a report about childcare being now the number one reason why people are not going back to work. Everything related to the, to the new way of people working, working from home, working with kids around, working, you know, in sort of um, an environment where people and I mean, it's it's good and bad. There are good things and bad things about working from home. Mm. If you're a professional uh, person who is working in the corporate sector, white collar worker, it's probably a good thing, but it has its um, its setbacks, like the need to have childcare. <laughs> Otherwise, you can't well. get anything done. 
So have, what have you noticed from your end? Because you pay more attention to this probably than I do. Mm. What have you noticed? Well, certainly there, there has been a pink recession. And then again, the collision or the recognition with you know, the fact that women do provide the domestic labour. They have, and, and, and during COVID, this came to the fore. Uh, they provide the emotional labour. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones who multitask uh, with fa family needs and family responsibilities. And, and uh, even though they may both be working full-time, it's the women, woman who carries the responsibility and the load of family. I mean, he might do the shopping, but often, uh, you know, he relies on her to provide the list. Uh, it's, it's, it's so that sort of dynamic that, that COVID you know, just ex really exposed. And, and also industries that uh, have uh, a female-dominated like uh, healthcare, service industry, retail, tourism. I mean, they're the ones who suffered and they're female-dominated. So women uh, were, were losing their jobs. Uh, and, uh, and they were they also, you know, women are also paid less, you know, in, their, you know, in feminized industries. So all those factors in, in which women uh, are, are, have, have a less entitlement to the to, you know, societal you know, resources or, or less entitlement in a you know, society somehow sees female, female work and, and, and female labour and female industries as somehow accepting, you know, you know, lesser rates and lesser conditions. And they're usually, you know, a lot of them are casual jobs. So women didn't come out, aren't coming out of COVID uh, having benefited very much, maybe except uh, the fact that they are working from home and uh, that that has its difficulties, but it also means that, you know, that rush in the morning and getting the kids to school, then, you know, they, 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 they travel to work, uh, you know, that, that sort of, and, 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 you know, and then at the other end, get, getting home, kicking kids up, that, that, that was much easier. That, that changed a lot for my daughter, who's got two small kids. She actually liked it. And uh, she's an art teacher and an artist, but she hadn't painted. She hadn't painted for 10 years because busy at work, two small kids. Uh, and then she started painting again during COVID, which she hasn't been able to do before. And this has been fabulous to, to the point that now she's taken a day off work a day for painting where she was working five days a week. Uh, she now works four days a week and paints one day. And so COVID, through COVID, she sort of rediscovered her love, her love for the art that she used to make. So, you know. That's interesting. I read this week as well that um, in the US, and I, I guess we can just extrapolate that this is probably true in other countries where people work um, you have professional workers 
workers are 5% happier than they were in 2019. And it's probably because of that flexibility and that opportunity to work from home. However, uh, the number of people uh, that are applying for, you know, mental health days or personal leave days have increased as well. So you have people like your daughter who are finding that um, the, the COVID has ignited or enabled um, something to uh, good to come out of it. And then you have another group of workers who are feeling isolated or having uh, mental health issues probably brought upon by that isolation and working from home or um, conflict or family issues or work-related issues even that are brought upon by working from home as well. Because managing teams um, at a distance is it's not for everyone and people haven't really been trained. We didn't have the systems in place to, to do it in this way. We, we didn't really expect uh, to do it in this way. And it has worked. I mean, things didn't completely fall apart. We, we um, I think we're all quite surprised <laughs> at how much we were able to accomplish working from home. Um, but it's true that we've done that without the, structures and the policies in place we're kind of making it as we go so there's lessons here that we need to learn and then crystallize in workplace policy we well we've learned it on the run but many of these issues were going on uh pre-covid uh you know mental health issues bullying and harassment uh, uh, at work, uh, sexual harassment, which probably, uh, 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 I mean, if you're being sexually harassed at work, uh, the you know, propensity for that might, might have decreased if you're no longer uh, with you know, the bully or the perpetrator uh, and you're at home. Uh, but you know, I guess COVID has um, highlighted certain issues uh, uh, and um, it's um, it's a um, it's an inflection point. It's an inflection point, and it's I guess forced us and enabled us to reflect about uh, you know what what what's going on in society, what's going on in our workplaces, what's going on in our home life, uh, how does the professional and the personal marry. Uh, and uh, how can we, you know, what, what's the future for our society? Because I don't think we're going to go back to where it was before. Uh, and we do have to create a new future. Um, and uh, some, some people um, can't wait for it to go back. They just can't wait you know, to, to be back work. Whereas other people have said, look, I travel one and a half hours a day. Uh, a colleague of my husband's used the time that she travels to do exercise and look after her health. She lost 20 
kilos in six months. She she did nothing more than say, that time that I was travelling, how can I use it for me time, which she never had. She never had me time. And in that me time, her health improved significantly. So, you know, there's there's something about this long commutes and, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and, and usually it's one person uh, or sometimes it's two people, but one, you know, a lot of, you know, in a lot of scenarios, women are working part-time or, or, or more flexibly uh, and, and the male works full-time and he doesn't actually see his children. So that emotional labour and that domestic labour for women, uh, you know, is, just just a given that's what she has to do uh and um so um, perhaps you know if they're both working from home more he he might discover something about his children and uh, i mean uh, you know I'm, I'm making a generalization i mean sometimes it's the woman who works full-time and they're stay-at-home men but the propensity for stay-at-home men is very, very low. Even when men are offered flexibility, they don't take it up because guys who take it up are seen as not senior management material. They, you know, they they give out a signal. That is the signal. Whereas a woman who has children, she's forgiven. Whereas a man who wants to look after his children and and work flexibly is uh, is sort of outed as not being interested in. Uh, and terrified of, uh, of actually accepting flexibility options even if they are offered. So during this COVID, uh, everybody was sort of working at home and working flexi- flexibly and maybe some men think, well, you know what, I really enjoyed playing with my kids in the afternoon even though I worked late at night. I'll go back to not seeing them arriving at home when they're asleep and, and, and leaving before they wake up. I don't want that anymore. Uh, and weekends just running around trying to make up when I'm really exhausted and I need to sleep but I feel I have to make up. Otherwise, I'm, 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 I'm not a father or I'm, I'm, I'm not enacting my role as a father. I call myself a father but I'm not practising being a father, so and I feel guilty. So men feel guilty, and women are always feeling guilty too, because you know whatever they do, uh, society said always says that somehow uh, women need to do better. And I make that point mainly because women are paid less. I mean, because the gender pay gap and uh, feminised industries being less well remunerated, and somehow. The message is that, you know, if women did a bit better, that gender gap would close. That somehow, you know, the, the leaning in, I mean, you just got to lean in, do better, work harder, improve yourself, and that's what it takes. But it ain't so. So I'd like to, I'd like to talk about two things that you've mentioned um, just now. Um, the, the 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 different ways we see men and women at work and the pay gap but I want to use an example from last year um, post services around the world during COVID 
have been just inundated with work. So in Australia, Australia Post was working back in March, April, May, as if it was Christmas in terms of its deliveries Mm, mm, and all mm. of that. And just a few months after that, and during an extremely busy time for Australia Post, um, the CEO uh, had to resign. And... I don't know if you remember this, but when Christine Holgate started as CEO of Australia Post, which wasn't so long ago, I think it was about two years ago, um, her salary was, I think, a third of the previous male CEO salary. Mm -hmm. And I remember that really well. It was all over the news, the fact that she was accepting a much lower salary than her previous CEO that she was replacing and there were you know discussions about was the previous one being overpaid or was it because she's a female CEO and she was asked this several times and she deflected the um, answers and Australia Post um, being in not such a good situation most postal services around the world are not in a very good situation Um, things just went ahead uh, and and there wasn't a lot of criticism, and I didn't see much said about that. But I was I was horrified that it was such a lower salary compared to her predecessor. And then a few years later, um, she made possibly a bad judgment there in giving away some gold watches to her high performer um, executives. That wasn't seen as something that should be done, or whatever people thought in 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 Australian Parliament about this the Prime Minister made a, a very strong critic uh, criticism about her her leadership and she had to resign I I was horrified with that criticism coming from the Prime Minister I don't remember other CEOs, male CEOs, of course, because we have so many more male CEOs in Australia than female CEOs for those top organizations, ever being so severely criticized for doing something wrong like that. I don't remember, even within government, any other CEO or head of or secretary of being so severely criticized in parliament as this female CEO was, except maybe for Michelle Guthrie at the ABC, (laughs) who also uh, was shown the door uh, very early on. She didn't have a lot of time in the ABC. Um, I think a year and a half later, she she had to leave. The board asked her to resign. How do you see that, Hannah? You, you're always watching and observing uh, women. And mm. this is not about women that choose professions that, that are traditionally uh, underpaid, like nursing or teaching or anything like that. These are women CEOs that are being paid less than their predecessors and are not given any chance. If they do anything wrong, they're out. Well, you know, and, you know, add Catherine Brenner, uh, who was um, chair of uh, AMP, 
uh, when one woman falls, it, 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 it's, it is a mark on all women. I told you so. Uh, you know, we employ a woman and see what happens. Let's go back to what works for us. Uh, so, I mean, this, this case with uh, Christine Holgate and her being so unceremoniously let go for doing something, you know, it might have been in bad taste, uh, giving, you know, four Cartier watches uh, to executives who'd, uh, who'd really uh, done a, a, a very lucrative deal with the with the bank that was going to give Australia Post uh, that you know, was going to remunerate Australia Post very well. That they were uh, so she was rewarding them. But the confected outrage of our Prime Minister just uh, really it was a well I think at that particular example was a deflect. A, 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 an exercise in deflection because of all the other governance and issues of corruption that were going on. She was an easy target. Throw Christine Holgate under the bus and have a tantrum in Parliament, uh, you know, this, this confected uh, uh, faux outrage, which really I, I thought was totally over the top. Uh, so it, it was easy. He, he threw Bridget McKenzie under the bus too with the sports sports. So, but I don't think she made that decision all by her little self. I think the Prime Minister's fingers were all over the decision to give certain electorates uh, uh, benefits that other electorates for for the political calculus of it all, that others weren't getting it. So uh, women are easy to throw on the bus, which brings me to the sort of leadership we have. The leadership that talks about uh, you know, closing the gender gap, uh, uh, providing safe workplace, and then the leadership that behaves uh, in a way that makes women feel vulnerable, makes women feel singled out. If there's a mistake, women make a mistake and she falls. Men make a mistake and it's an opportunity to learn. We treat men and women differently when they get there. And even to get there, uh, women are scrutinised, you know, uh, women are judged you know, a, a higher and harder and more shifting standards than our men. Women are subjected to this notion of um, filters and, and, and I'm thinking of this notion of executive presence. Does she have executive presence? And executive presence is a very subjective phenomenon. Uh, you know, uh, reason is slave to passion. We know that 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 you know we can we can justify all these things in some sort of evidence based way. But our decisions usually are made subjectively. So she doesn't have 
the gravitas. So when you think about, you know, what gravitas means, how she communicates, you know, a notion of wisdom. I mean, this is all very subjective. You know, her communication style is not compelling. Now, what is a compelling communication style? It's usually the way the men communicate, not the way women communicate. Uh, uh, her, her appearance somehow, you know, remember Julia Gillard, our Prime Minister, who was always told that she looked wrong. You know, every day there was something in one magazine or one masthead or other about her hair, her her, her jackets, uh, her big bum, even, even Germaine Greer. On, I remember on Q&A said, Julia, you've got a big bum now. Why are we commenting on women's appearance continually uh, as, as a way of, and, and this, this comprises this sort of nebulous notion of executive presence. So uh, subjecting women to this scrutiny and then judging them when they're there. I mean, women are vulnerable uh, they're visible. They are visible when a woman is there, and therefore they it renders them vulnerable. If you if you're watching them do catching them do something wrong, rather than catching them do something right, uh, so that women walk a tightrope, and we 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 expect things to change. You know, I did a major study in 2000. I mean, my research was in 2005 and 2006 on, um, and this was at a time, you know, where, where we were, uh, where the economy was, was booming and we were, you know, talking about the war on talent and somebody you know, somewhere realised that, well, maybe if we employed women we could increase our talent pool so all of a sudden companies were saying well we want to get women uh, but we can't get women which was you know they weren't looking in, in the right place but but when you know I went into organizations to to you know ask to analyze what was happening that women were not rising, that it was difficult to get women leaders? What, what, what was actually going on in those organisations? And, you know, I'll, you know, a quick summary. I mean, the 24 out of 7 cultures, the culture of scrutinising women, the cultures of not valuing women's intelligence, the cultures where women were hiding their pregnancy. If you want to go to get to partnership or seniority, don't let anybody know you're a family woman or certainly not not have it shown in the workplace. And that was, you know, the, 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 the research in the book came out in, in about 2010. But I look at what's going on now and you wonder what has changed. We say the words that we accept, you know, families and we expect, accept, accept men and women as family people. Uh, uh, but really... We don't make it easy. We don't make it easy. No, I mean, you know, when, when, when I know before the last election, when Labor was suggesting that we have some sort of universal health care, uh, I think one of the ministers, uh, Dan Tien, you know, I think it was at the time, said, are you not wanting to introduce communism to our country? This is a communist plot. So uh, here we are, something you know, a basic human right like having childcare is, is somehow perverted into this communist plot. I mean, this is this is what's still going on, and we wonder why uh, why women are 
are still treated as poorly as they are uh, because the leadership isn't there. Uh, we, 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 need, we need leadership from, from our males up there to advocate for women, not only to advocate for women, to actually do something, take action, and childcare would be one great example uh, to, 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 to facilitate women's entry into the workforce in a way that isn't killing her. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, this is um, really everything that has happened uh, with this example of Christine Holgate and, and everything that you're saying is in very high contrast with what we're seeing in Parliament this week and last week and probably next week as well in regards to sexual misconducts that are happening right now and that have happened in decades past. And the Parliament's inability to take any action to make women feel safe or say anything that makes us believe that actions are being taken and that these women are being taken seriously. So in one example, we see actions taken really quickly to correct a wrong of giving out gold watches to high-performing executives. Yes, I, I see a problem with that as well. I just don't think it warrants, um, uh, you know, a complete turnaround of senior leadership um, at the Australia Post because of that. Um, Renata, can I just say? Sure. The, yeah. the, what about the bonuses that are given to senior executives? I mean, much more than the worth of a gold Cartier watch. And these are mega bonuses. And, and companies that receive JobKeeper uh, to stay afloat, you know what they did with the JobKeeper? They converted it to bonuses for senior executives. So, uh, and here is Christine Holgate, you know, being, you know, let out to dry in, 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 in the most humility humiliating of ways so sorry i interrupted but no um, no 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 i that's you're making a very good point and then um we have this he said she said quite literally that's what's been going on in canberra um situation uh, about the rape allegations and we don't see um where that's going you know it probably will be something that's drawn out and we don't see a lot of action taken swiftly to give women um, a strong sense that um, the, the seriousness of what has happened is, is taken seriously. And also so that all the organizations that are looking up to that high office see the good model and the best practice of how you take a strong issue like that and you quickly turn that around. Um, so well, what, you've got, how are you observing this, Hannah? Because I always um, I want to be in your head <laughs> when we're watching the no, news no. tonight. Uh, the sort of 
obfuscation and the prevarication and the tiptoeing uh, is um, it's it's beggars it, it actually beggars belief. Parliament is not a safe place for women. There is no infrastructure to report any you know any uh, well. I'm not going as far as sexual harassment, but any any bullying, any disagreements, any difficulties. There is no human resource department for these staffers. Um, and uh, and this, okay, just going back to the, he said, she said, this sort of the subtext of that, the reductionism in it. It's it's a it's a it's a weasel word it's a way of saying well i i don't believe her that's really uh, uh her her pain is being questioned but not you know, there is two sides to every story but the way you know peter dutton the way he presented that, it was a throwaway line as if this is a throwaway issue. He didn't give it the gravitas that the, he could have said it in a way that gives this terrible, you know, allegedly criminal act a gravitas. Instead, it was this, well, he actually said, well, you know, like, I mean, this is just collateral damage this is just yeah you know, we you know, we move on it was his whole demeanor it was his whole body language and it was his the verbal language to you know so that that really get that really gives a message that this is yeah you know, we need to move on get on with it it was it was ugly just just the way he handled it was ugly and uh, and would make any woman think twice about reporting anything untoward, and women don't. And we know from the stats that people, not just women, but women are the one. I mean, in 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 terms of uh, those who are upon which harassment is perpetrated, uh, uh, outnumber men by far. But people stay silent because. Careers are ruined. Uh, opportunities are ruined. Uh, you know, you, your name is bandied around. Once it's out there, it's never forgotten. You know, employment prospects are ruined. She, and this is why she didn't decide to proceed because in, she, was given a, she was given a choice, maybe not directly, but indirectly she was given a choice. I mean, you want a job, we've got an election. What are you going to do? That was basically what was offered to her, and she chose to keep her job. She was a young staffer, so there was no other way. It was a black and white situation. Uh, you lose your job or you keep your job, uh, and uh, she chose to keep it. So um, very, I'm very not happy about the way this is handled. Now three more women have come up and accused this guy, and let me tell you, this alleged perpetrator... Uh, no shame. He leaves. He leaves with, and this has been said, a compensation package. He leaves with glowing references. So she is not believed. She 
he suffers. She carries this pain for two years. Uh, and when I found out this something untoward, he, he, was, he was let go for, as, for a breach of security. That was the reason he was let go. And glowing references and, 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 and uh, a compensation package. Well, uh, and he's doing very well, thank you, in another employment. Whereas uh, she, uh, you know, she, as women do, bear the pain of victim status and they have to explain their victim status and they have to act to repair their status. I mean, if she didn't call out, there wouldn't be reparation. You know, there'd just be another woman who'd stay silent, another woman that who'd stay silent. So she has to take the risk. Now, her name will be on Google forever uh, and, and, and it's going to affect her life. But she became the whistleblower uh, and... And so the victim has to become the whistleblower because nobody else, everybody else is a bystander. Everybody knew and nobody said anything. So many people knew and the Prime Minister didn't know. Now, I find this absolutely not believable. How couldn't he not know that this was going on when his staff knew, where other ministers knew? Oh, they say they didn't tell him. Why didn't they tell him? Well, there must be some sort of don't ask, don't tell. Or worse still, everybody is lying. The lies and obfuscation, is, is, it's, quite, it's quite sickening in terms of uh, the highest office of the land. So this is the behaviour in the highest office of the land. And now we know that um, this first whistleblower initiated what's potentially a movement of Me Too within Parliament that yes. um, started um, a whole uh, wave of allegations, including that a cabinet minister allegedly um, committed uh, rape before entering politics back in the late 80s um, and the prime minister now knows who that cabinet minister is and or a member of cabinet, I should say. And that person hasn't been stood down. Now, it, it, that's when I think uh, the decision making is flawed compared to what happened to Christine Holgate. Oh, well... You know, well, you, you want to take a swift action back then to show your leadership and show you cannot do things in a certain way in a government institution like the Australian Post. Then you have to take a swift action as well when there is potentially a very serious crime involving one of your one of um, a member of cabinet uh, in charge of a, an important portfolio within your. Uh, government and until that is resolved that person shouldn't be in office it, it just doesn't you know it just doesn't make any sense that you would not use that same ideology to take swift action and protect the community against somebody who could potentially not be fit for office um so, and that doesn't mean this person doesn't have a right to fair correct. justice. But yes. while it's been investigated, while the situation has, is being interrogated, it is incumbent on this person 
to step aside and let justice prevail. And uh, if there is no case to be made, come uh, back. Then come back. Come back. Uh, of course, it will it will affect him. It's going to affect him. But these are the consequences. But it affects the standing of the parliament if you're ignoring it or you're whitewashing it or you wanted to go away. It's like children wanting, closing their eyes and saying, you know, it's not there. If I close my eyes, it's not there. The problems have been compounded to a point where, you know, it starts to show a trend of how the problems are being dealt with. And that doesn't send the, the right message to women in the workforce, uh, women who ha- may have faced these issues in the past, and it's still very raw for them. Managers who, when faced with issues within their teams, don't know how to, to deal with it and need modeling and need best practices and need to know, you know, and, and that vicarious learning that comes from seeing how others deal with it so you you know all of those cues that you get from watching a a high office deal with a problem is I think um, really important for our society so I think that um, I would expect more uh, from from government and I know it's a shock But it's been a few days, it's been a few weeks now, and I still don't see anything um, happening to give me, uh, to make me feel confident as a a working woman that this government has my back. Um, Well, there's... Is, there, is, it, is it a surprise that there is a decline in trust in institutions and it is affecting our democratic processes? Uh, if we don't uphold the integrity of our institutions, we will see a decline in democracy because it's about whatever you can get away with. And if there's an inconsistency in the way we treat people, and we keep coming back to the example of Christine Hoggate, yet you've got uh, people like head of the ASEC chairman of ASEC, uh, 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 James Shipton, and I think he charged the taxpayer $177,000 for his personal tax bill. And, you know, not an eyelid would blinked i mean i mean it was it was just acceptable in a culture of entitlement as the way we do business uh and i mean it 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 it, it took a lot of pushing and questioning by the media before he 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 resigned and he was probably you know pushed aside he and his deputy both but certainly did we see the standing up in Parliament, the the, the out, outrage, uh, the performative outrage? We didn't see that. It, he just, you know, quietly, you know, over a few weeks, uh, he 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 sort of moved aside. Whereas with Christine Holgate, uh, there was this there was theatre, you know, a theatre around a woman. Uh, and, and she became part of the circus, the theatre circus of demeaning women throwing them under a bus so it was sort of it was a double whammy now and i'd like to uh switch gears and and move 
it towards us because some people might be listening and saying, oh, it's easy to, you know, criticize others, right? Um, but when we first talking, started talking about recording this conversation, I told you how about my experience managing people and how much uh, dealing with um, my staff, be it because of their personal issues at home, be it because of issues at work, and that included both dealing with um, staff that were dealing with domestic violence and also staff that were uh, reporting sexual harassment at work. It, you know, and as a manager of people, you have to know that this will be something you need to deal with and that you need to deal with well. You need to, to be the leader that you're supposed to be for your people. And it's not easy. I say it's not easy because it's not easy for the leader emotionally to deal with these things, but also because depending on where you work, the culture may not be there. The, the support for you may not be there to help your staff deal with whatever is the issue. And um, it can be really, really stressful for everybody involved. Um, I know you've done research into organizations and women in the workforce. What is it that we can learn so that we can do this better? You know, I, I can only say I've done the best I could, but I don't know that I did the best thing that, you know, that I could do ever. Like, I'm, I'm not really sure. Looking back, I can't put hand in heart mm. and say, I, I am absolutely 100% sure that I did the best possible thing. I just did what I thought I was the best thing at the time considering the resources I had and frankly I didn't feel a lot of support around me to help me deal with the situation I was dealing with I was learning as I was going I'd never had any education to deal with this the issues that I was facing it was really um, a stressful time every time it happened and it happened more than once you know, it's not like, oh, this one thing happened in my career. No, I'm 48 years old. I've been managing staff since I was 21, 22. <laughs> so, mm. you know, I've learned a lot along the way. But frankly, I still think that it's not part of the MBA. <laughs> it's not part of your formal education. Why is it that we don't deal with this formally? Well, this organizations provide training policies and procedures. It helps a lot when an organization provides an infrastructure of support where you actually know what to do, you know who to speak to, uh, you're not alone. Uh, and I mean, we can't we can't be saviors, uh, and we uh, and, and and if there isn't the support, we feel we have to we have to take on the burden of that person. But what can we do? Uh, 
assuming that there is limited support. I think providing someone with a listening ear to to actually, and I'm not talking about a criminal act here, because if it's a criminal act, it's got to be reported to the police, to the authorities, and every organisation should have a protocol for reporting. And if your organisation doesn't, then you may have to take on the burden of reporting this. But if there are difficulties, I mean, life has challenges, you know, and, and you know, we, we all have issues that, that we have to deal with. Life is not a smooth upward trajectory of success as some people try to paint it. I mean, and, and, and you hear people present their journeys of success and you think, oh, I can only feel terrible because their journey has been unencumbered by the uh, um, existential issues of pain and difficulties, we all face it. I think providing someone with a listening ear, listening to their issue and, and doing what you can in your skills and uh, what, is, what, what, what is legally right or ethically right to, for that person. And I say what is ethically right. If you see somebody is depressed, and you are not a psychologist. It is not for you to treat their depression. And you tell them, I can help you with this. I can help you with your career path. I can help you deal with conflict situations. But if you're telling me you're depressed, then, you know, you should have a list of you know, psychologists that, that you know or, or suggest that they, you know, as, so, or that, that they're getting the right professional help. So you're, you're, you're a triage in a, in a sense. You're, pro, you're providing, so you know your own capabilities and capacities and you work within them. And that's the ethical and moral and, in fact, legal thing to do. Uh, but within you know, those boundaries, you give the person what you can. And if you can step into their shoes and if you can and you've had an ex previous experience understanding, uh, they will understand that you understand. And that, you know, and when somebody is being heard, that is really a very powerful dynamic of actually being heard. But the other point is, you know, you as the provider of the service of coaching, and I know as, as, as a coach myself, uh, you may also need to talk to see. You might also need your own card coach, your own support system, um, somebody to shoot the breeze with, somebody to say, look, I'm having a difficulty within myself I don't feel at this time uh, I don't know for whatever reason you might be having marital problems you might be ill you might just not be feeling up to it to say I'm feeling that I can't at this moment give my client all that they deserve or all that I should be giving to them you might actually be giving them a whole lot more but it's always good to check in with somebody else to to, to to discuss issues, nothing is black and white. Everything has elements of grey. Everything can be seen from different perspectives. So sometimes another perspective only adds to your own understanding, to your own learning. So we, we 
you know, without, you know, without exposing the confidentiality, you know, the confidentiality issues of, you know, the issue you're dealing with your client. There are ways to talk about some of the issues so that you can do a better job, but also that you are being fed as a person, that you are being looked after. Because if you're giving, 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 you become, you can become empty very quickly. And it's not only in the work situation, you know, know, you've got other, you know, you've sort of got other demands of relationships everywhere. So you've got clients who work, family, you know, husbands, wives, partners, children, uh, you know, we may feel depleted and everything is at a fast pace. We are running. Uh, and people even say to me during COVID, I seem to be running. I seem to be going from one Zoom to the next Zoom to the next Zoom. You know, I'm sort of hiding my food on the chair next to me and popping it into my mouth. Well, you know, we, need, we all need to stop and have reflective space to think aloud because when we can you know, it's the talking therapy. When we can say our thoughts aloud, you know, there is an aha moment. And if there is a person on the other side there that can hold you while you are expressing your confusion or your, uh, your despair or your joy or whatever it is, if there's, you know, if there's a, somebody to partner with you in your learning and your growing and giving you some of the love that you need. I mean, we all need love and we all need uh, uh, others, you know, to put their arms around us metaphorically, if not physically. So I think uh, this this is how we keep our stamina to keep going as professionals. I have found that, um, working independently as a coach has allowed me to to be a much better mentor and a much better support for my clients the the time when i felt really stressed and felt constrained about um giving help was when i was working inside an organization as a manager with a team and having to either work with the policies and procedures that were in place or work around the policies and procedures to support my staff. That's when things were really complicated. And I, if anybody is listening yes. who can relate to this, I, I, I completely a hundred percent understand you. If you're having issues like I used to have, with uh, staff that are being bullied or staff that are have problems at home, big or small, staff that have um, come to you with um, reports of sexual harassment. It's, it's quite difficult when, you know, I'm, I often felt that I knew more about what to do next than the HR person I was supposed to call and ask for help, <laughs> you know, and, and that that used to freak me out because that's not how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to give someone a call who will then step on board to help me and help my staff. And that's how I, I felt that um, I was let down as a manager and I probably 
let people down as well. However, as I got older, you know, when I remember being very young and discussing this with my husband, like I, you know, had something horrible said to me or some really unfair situation that I found myself in. And I, I felt like I wanted to report it, but we discussed it and, and decided against it, either because we weren't citizens of Australia yet. And we felt like we were in a very risky situation or I was ambitious and I wanted to progress in my career and I, I felt that that would hurt me that was mm-hmm. 20 years ago and now I have clients that tell me the same so I, I I'm saddened by the fact that two decades have passed and we still have the same issues where people feel like they can't report something horrible because it it will negatively they know that it will negatively impact their career progression so it's depending on where you work of course there are some wonderful organizations out there but depending on where you work this is pretty you know a standard and it helps not only you know shred it, it it happens not only in Australia, it happens in other countries as well. And, you know, we, we keep talking about a movement and changes and things that are happening. I just feel that they're happening too slow. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about four years ago, I think it was, you know, the Kavanaugh um, uh, situation in the US, you know, when the he said, she said was the same situation that we now have in Australia. We learned nothing from watching that unfold. And now we have the same issue again. It's like Groundhog Day. We're not learning Mm. anything from these situations. We're repeating the same mistakes. We're leaving things uh, uh, unsaid and undone. And we're not moving forward fast enough. Well, Renata, you know, in both those situations, it was the leadership, I mean, Trump was getting up and mimicking the victim in the Kavanaugh case, and her name escapes me for the moment, uh, but uh, uh, he, he was treating you know, the situation as a joke. He was making fun of her, making fun of her evidence. Uh, and, uh, well, uh, I mean, Brett Kavanaugh, well, whether he was guilty or not, uh, it made a fuss. It made an absolute fuss of the whole situation. Uh, and this went on, you know, you could see it. It went on worldwide. Yeah. So any woman watching Trump gesticulate and make fun of this poor woman, if they had a case to complain about, at that moment, they would have said, I am not proceeding with my complaint. Because if she gets treated like that yeah. by the president of the free world, well, what chance have I got? So this was, you know, and, and, and in, in, in today, in, in our situation, Australia, we have the same leadership. Of course, he's not behaving like Trump, but he's shifting his feet, he's obfuscating, he's, he's denying 
and, and he's pretending he knew nothing about it. And, and that, that also undermines trust. Um, just your other point of, of uh, deciding, you know, whether you, you proceed with a complaint and report it or whether not, uh, it is a difficult issue. But for the people out there, I would say choose your battles. You choose your battles. And once you decide that this is a battle worth fighting for, uh, you, uh, you pursue it and you get people to advocate for you. Yes. Uh, and, and because, you know, together we stand, divided we fall. And, you know, in a lot of these cases, you know, divisions are created and the person who has been abused or sexually harassed is alone and left out to left out to dry. Um, the other point about uh, the organisations not having the infrastructure of support. You know, I was I was watching uh, Shitish Kapoor, who's the dean of medicine at Melbourne University, and he's about to take up the position of president at King's College London. And, you know, he really stuck his neck out yesterday on the drum, uh, but I thought, yes. He talked about the grey area. A lot of these policy procedures are black and white. You know, you are constrained. You either go this way or you go that way. There is not room for mediation, for discussion, for exploration. And if you provide a a greater space for discussion, for people actually talking to each other rather than taking positions, we might actually learn something from each other because we're too busy holding, holding positions uh, and then things get bifurcated and then we get he, he said, she said, so, you know, black and white. Uh, and, uh, and there are many, I mean, there are many grey areas in all those, in all situations, even situations that on the face of it look black and white. And tippy-toe, we do not explore. I think we need to start wrapping up because this is going okay. to be too long. I'm going to do a lovely introduction to this and, and tell everybody a little bit about you um, before um, uh, before adding the, the conversation um, to the podcast. But now that we're sort of wrapping up, if people want to reach out to you, can they find, find you where on LinkedIn? They can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you have a new article that you've just published. Is it published already or did you send me? Yes, a it's published. It's published. It's, it's called uh, Society at the Edges, Populism, Polarization and Paralysis. Uh, so that's a that's that's a big paper. But if people look up the conversation, they can see short shorter articles. But uh, this was um, this was you know a sort of a journey of love during COVID. I thought, well, I'd, I'd given this paper in New York in 2019, and I thought it's a big paper. I don't think I want to write it up. But then COVID came along, and I thought, well, I Might will well. I will write it up. So it's <laughs> yes. And I want to link um, your work on gender studies as well on the episode show notes because you have written 
books yes. and articles that women and men might find really interesting. So I'll make sure that those are linked to the episode. That's show about, well. well, really, it's about ethics, you know. Yeah. It's about yeah, ethics, governance, and diversity, all very linked in, and race all very linked in and we tend to separate them from one another as if they are a cohort or something that we look at in isolation. Gender, race, ethics, governance are all interconnected and also uh, the inequalities in society, these are all interconnected. So this is really what my paper is about, is the interconnection. Uh, we can't look at gender without looking at race, without looking at income and wealth inequality, uh, without looking at our history. So uh, it's about, it, you know, the whole intersectionality of life. And if we don't look at things through an intersectional lens, we miss out a whole lot of information. So anyway, okay. good to talk to you. I think um, we'll say goodbye now and I will, since so many of my friends are moving to Port Ferry, I'll come to Port Ferry and visit you very soon. Oh, please, please. (laughs) Can't wait to see you, Hannah. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this very long but also very important chat with Hannah Peterman and look I am a career coach so if there are any issues that you would like to discuss and work with a coach uh, don't hesitate to get in touch with me there is a link for you to book a time with me in the episode show notes if you're interested in working with a coach and if you go to my website you will see that I have several different types of services that are very affordable and easy to book and organize and my website is renatabernardi.com r-e-n-a-t-a-b-e-r-n-a-r de.com and there will also be a link to it in the episode show notes so go to my website check my services think about booking a coach to help you um, advance in your career and get the career that you want to have for your future see you next time bye for now